You're listening to Preservation Destination, the podcast where we explore the history of the built environment. Whether you are a preservation pro, dabbler, or just into fascinating history, you are in the right place. Join our host, Taylor Volts, as she interviews experts in the field of preservation as they pass their knowledge on to us. And here is your host of Preservation Destination, Taylor Volts. Welcome to the second episode of Preservation Destination. Today our guest is Katrina Horning, owner and operator of NOLA Architecture Tours. Welcome, Katrina. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you. Please tell our listeners a little bit about your company and what it is that you do. I have a tour company here in New Orleans where we focus on architecture. We talk about characteristics of buildings that will tell you what style they are. We talk about time periods. We talk about architects. Hopefully my guests will leave here knowing a little bit more about architecture so that they can appreciate it more when they get back home. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got started as a tour guide? Sure. Well, I wanted to be a history teacher growing up, and I soon discovered that there's a lot of technology that I wasn't going to be ready to do, so I switched my focus to social sciences. I took a bunch of classes in history and historic preservation, and I minored in Louisiana studies, and that really formed the background for my tours. So are you from New Orleans originally, or did you move from somewhere else? No, I grew up in Connecticut, and I got here about 14 years ago, and I just fell in love with the place. So pre-Katrina then? Yep, a year before. Okay, okay. I moved here in 2009, so I, I got missed it. So it's always fascinating to talk with people that were here beforehand to, to hear their stories, especially the, the non-natives. So your company does tours of the French Quarter, the Garden District, and the Irish Channel. Which one of those is your favorite tour? If you could pick one, which one's your favorite? Um, my favorite tour is the Garden District uh, tour. It's a really interesting neighborhood. It's antebellum, so it's before the Civil War when we have a lot of our buildings being built. And there's just some really stunning mansions out there. And so could you give us a little bit of an overview of the architectural history of the city of New Orleans, maybe starting with the French Quarter and and, and moving outward? Sure, yeah. Um, So we start, of course, with the French Quarter, and that was the original city of New Orleans. It's founded in 1718. Um, It's founded by the French. And when they get here, they start building things, a, a lot of things out of Cyprus. And then we have two major fires that happen in the late 1700s. Um, during this period, we have become Spanish, and so when we um, when these fires happen, the Spanish decide that they needed to instill, you know, to put in some fire codes. And when these fire codes go in, basically they say no more wooden buildings. You have to make everything out of bricks and plaster. You have to put slate on the top. You have to put firewalls in between. You have to put everything on the same plane, bumped up against the sidewalk. And you also have to not allow a lot of space in between the buildings. So when you're down in the French Quarter, what you're really seeing is this Spanish fire code Mm -hmm. in place. Mm -hmm. Um, Then, as we start expanding, in 1803, we become American. And once we become American, many of the Americans come and start settling on the other side of Canal Street from the French Quarter. And they start making their buildings there. And they spread out upriver. Now, basically, before these areas are taken over by the city of New Orleans. They're actually plantations that spread out from the city. Mm-hmm. And so when we go up to the Garden District, we talk an awful lot about how this used to be a plantation, how it uh, the plantation owners got a divorce, and then after this divorce, Mrs. Lividay got the property, she sold it to American speculators, and they created a separate American suburb. 
Now, when they start building there, these are Americans. And so they're going to build very similarly to Charleston mm -hmm. and Savannah. Hot weather, American culture, they're all going to build the same stuff. So in that neighborhood, we talk an awful lot about um, Italianate and Greek Revival and Victorian architecture. So you talked about the Americans moving in on one side of Canal, but what about to the other side of the French Quarter? Oh, sure, yeah. In that area, we have the Marigny, and the Marigny is... It's a lot of immigrants. Um, in 1809, we have 10,000 Haitian refugees that show up, and there's a lot more of the smaller residential buildings. Mm -hmm. um, you're going to find a lot of bright colors there because there are Caribbean people. We mm -hmm. have free people of color. We had Germans. We had Irish. It's a, a really a hodgepodge, a very interesting hodgepodge of people that we get over there. And then, of course, behind, well, I call it behind the French Quarter, but it would be like the back of town area where St. Louis Cemetery is. That's Treme. Mm -hmm. You'll find a lot of free people of color there as well. Um, so we have very interesting cultural differences in this city, and the architecture definitely reflects that. Mm -hmm. And that canal is sort of the almost the dividing line between the two areas. And yes. so for our, our listeners that may not be that familiar with New Orleans, um, you have the French Quarter, and then um, as you move outward towards the Garden District, you go through the, the Central Business District area. And then you get the big highway overpass that's there now that, of course, wasn't there. Uh, and then the lower garden district, the garden district, the uptown universities area, and then Carrollton, which is where we're recording this right now, which at one point was an, a plantation that has was sold off and, and changed hands and subdivided. And then in the other direction, you do the French Quarter and the Marigny and the Bywater um, on towards the what is now the Industrial Canal. Um, which, of course, was not there at that time either when right. all of that was built. Um, so that, that's sort of the, you know, the basic layout of the city. Can you maybe mirror the way our city expanded with some of the other architectural trends that were happening in the rest of the country around the same time? Well, I mean, I guess one can say that these, these, um, these architecture trends are following patterns. And so you will find Greek revival in the United States at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, you will find Italianate. It's, it's really about fashion. Architecture, I mean, I always think of it as fashion anyways. You know, you have buildings that are Greek revival for 20, 30 years, and then there's a point where people are sick of that, and they want to mm -hmm. try something new. They don't want the same house styles of their parents. Right. And so that's how you watch these shifts happen. You mm -hmm. go Greek revival, Italianate, Victorian, craftsmen there's a point where they're like we don't want anything foo-foo anymore we're gonna right. go simple we're simple then crazy then simple and I think that's really neat and that happens all over the United States yeah I think you see that a lot with with as you're coming out of that sort of Victorian era where you have the the Queen Anne and and the Second Empire homes where not only were the outside covered with all kinds of details but the inside were full you know you had carpet on the floor and then rugs on top of the carpet mm -hmm. and you had two different types of drapes and every room had different wallpaper and it was very over the top and expressive and then you move into, um, you know, like craftsman style and things that are much sleeker and cleaner, cleaner lines and more angular um, shapes. And, and it is almost like a direct reversal of, of the opulence of this sort of Victorian era to more of a clean sort of in touch with nature. It's kind mm -hmm. of how I like to think about it with the, you know, the early 20th century architecture. So it's, it's really fascinating. And you see that a lot here. You know, you can walk around... Um, 
just one city block and you can see maybe where the original home was that took up the whole block and then if, as it was subdivided you may have a house that was built you know 50 years later and then another one that was 50 years later and so you've got maybe a craftsman ranch and then you've got an 1880s queen anne right next to each other and you see that a lot like along saint charles and mm -hmm. stuff like that and you find this interesting infill after the lots were divided or maybe something else was torn down and they've added other things and it's really fascinating to see that in the neighborhood you see that a lot around in the Carrollton neighborhood as well just walking around you know where we are right now so it's very fascinating <laughs> yeah we have a, a great spot in the garden district that I, I point out to my guests sometimes and it's this whole block of ranch houses mm -hmm. and so you have this 1830s 1850s neighborhood with you know Greek revival Italianate everywhere and then you get these ranches and so I always like to mention to my guests that when you see a new house in an old neighborhood, something should sort of, you should have questions. Mm -hmm. You know, something should go off in your brain where you're like, I wonder what happened here. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, where that is, it was the Rob Mansion. And the okay. Rob Mansion was this incredibly huge building. It ended, it was somebody's house. It ended up being Sophie Newcomb College, which mm -hmm. was, you know, sort of the ladies Tulane. And then it was a Baptist seminary. And then when the Baptist seminary moved out, they tore down the buildings to, you know, sell off the land because it was more valuable without that building on it. Mm -hmm. And so I, I just find that fascinating. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You could you could pick one block and probably do all kinds of research, find all kinds of interesting stories about the stuff, um, you know, that's built on those individual blocks. Um, so can you tell us about maybe some famous local architects from the area and which one might be your favorite if you if you have one? Oh, sure. Well, they all are, are doing something special. You know, we have James Gallier, who's one of our more famous architects. You know, Gallier Hall is named for him. He created the old city hall, which is now Gallier Hall. He worked on uh, some residential projects. We have William Ferret, who's a Greek Revival era guy. We have, um, well, my favorite one is probably Henry Howard. Mm -hmm. He's from County Cork, Ireland, and that's where my people are from. And so I like to assume <laughs> back <laughs> in the 1800s, we all knew each other. Um, but when he came here, he worked on, gosh, about two dozen houses in the Garden District. He worked on the Pontalba Apartments, which flanked Jackson Square, mm -hmm. those big, beautiful, beautiful brick buildings. He worked on, um, well, the building that H&M is in. That, okay. That beautiful, um, you know, warehouse building. Mm -hmm. He worked on that. Um, I really enjoy his work. The sad thing about Henry Howard is that he didn't quite pick up on this being an architect builder, which was starting to become a new thing. He basically wrote plans, got paid 100 bucks for them, and he ended up not making a lot of money for oh. all of these beautiful uh, uh, you know, pieces of art, you know, yeah. public art, if you will. And so my understanding, and I bought this beautiful coffee table book about him, and I can't even get to the end of it because my understanding is that he died this really sad death. Oh, no. And I just can't even, yeah. <laughs> I can't even finish the story because I love him so much. Um, yeah, he's my favorite guy. But they're all wonderful. Yeah, yeah. One of my favorites uh, is... He was uh, E.A. Christie, who was a city planner yes. in the early 20th century, and he built 
a lot of the public buildings here, uh, tons of firehouses, school buildings, um, you know, anything that the city needed construction in the 1920s, 1930s. And I, I did a lot of research on him when I was in school. And I just, I just love, I'm like, you see that one? That's an EA Christie firehouse. And that one over here is also an EA Christie firehouse. And my friends are like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I love his stuff. And he's not really a famous, you know, like mm-hmm. you would sort of think of famous, but I, I think he has, he has some pretty interesting buildings. The one on Claiborne, the school that I can't, I can't remember the name of it right now. That's where I vote. That's actually my voting oh, location. <laughs> so that's really neat because I love the, the architecture of the building, but I also get that it's, it's still part of the community now, you know, um, 90 years later after it was built. So it's pretty fascinating. Um, so since this is a preservation podcast, um, I'd kind of like to swing it back around to preservation a little bit, even though architecture is obviously a huge part of that. Um, but I want to get your opinion on some places that you would like to see brought back to life through preservation. Perhaps maybe the Carrollton Courthouse that's over here or, um, you know, and it doesn't have to be a building. It could be um, a park or a monument that you think could use a little love. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely agree with the Carrollton Courthouse. It's a Henry Howard building, yeah. <laughs> so that one really speaks to me. Um, it's it's a very important building, you know. Historically, it was the courthouse for the city of Carrollton. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, at that time Carrollton was its own city. It was, um, you know, part of Jefferson Parish, which I find kind of fun. Yeah. Um, but that building is really important. It's got some great Greek revival elements to it, and so we need to put something in that. Maybe a school, maybe uh, a bank. I don't know. Mm-hmm. We need to use that building a little bit better. As far as other buildings go, you know, there's theaters on Canal Street that could definitely use yes. some uh, help. Uh, the Lowe's Theater, mm-hmm. I believe, is is having some issues right now. They're trying to figure out what to do with it. Um, as far as buildings that we have lost, my heart is broken for the Woolworth building mm-hmm. on Canal Street. Mm-hmm. Um, we have this rapid development that's happening right now that, um, you know, we can never get that Woolworth back. And right. that was where we had some very famous uh, lunch counter sit-ins mm-hmm. during the Civil Rights Movement. So it would have been important to keep that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of buildings that could be uh, helped. I think that Carrollton Courthouse is definitely important. The uh, Lowe's Theater is important, and then um, we've lost some. Yeah, and, and I was uh, reading recently about the proposals that have been brought in front of the city council, and for the Lowe's Theater, and the the there was one where there, of course, they're trying to make it into a hotel because of everything course. has to be a hotel. So one of the one of the concepts was they were going to keep the facade of the building, the front part, which would have been, I guess, the lobby of the theater. And then build, I'm not sure how many stories behind it, but quite a large building behind it as a hotel. And then the other proposal was, um, would actually keep the theater itself intact, the theater space, but you would lose the front facade of the building because they were going to part of the hotel and then build on top of it. And it would sort of look kind of odd. And um, so I know that neither one of those options were accepted and they went, they're going to go back to the drawing board and try to find something else. Because in that case, it's like, what is the most important thing to you? Do you want to keep the streetscape the same, but then lose the beautiful architecture inside? 
or do you want to keep the beautiful architecture inside and maybe give up you know the marquee and the stuff from the outside of the building so I'm kind of glad that they they decided to not accept either of those proposals and to move forward with some new ideas because it, it is a beautiful space and and it even being across the street from the Sanger which has already been redone there's definitely a place for it here maybe not necessarily as another hotel um, but you know something else could be done with it for sure yeah I kind of don't understand why it could be either you lose the facade or you lose the theater like I don't understand why it can't be you keep the theater and do some, you know make it a lobby or, or make it maybe another theater of some kind I mean I don't know I just don't understand why it's one or the other yeah yeah so I'm glad they didn't choose either one of those because I, I didn't like either one of those <laughs> options <laughs> for that building. You know, and then there's there's the uh, General Laundry building that's over in, um, off of Orleans, I think, in Mid-City. That's got that beautiful Art Deco tile on the outside of it. I'm not sure if you've seen uh, it. I have not. It's, it's another one that's been vacant for forever and it's just sort of left to rot but it's stunning on the outside and it just needs somebody to come in and just do something great with it because it's just a beautiful space and a beautiful example of of our deco architecture which we have some of here but not a whole lot um you know and so uh, and it's one of my favorite styles so I'm over here like grasping onto everything like don't get rid of it don't take that down Um, So uh, on that note, what are some of your favorite places that have already been preserved or restored that you would like to, that you would like to tell us about? For example, um, you know, on your blog, you talked about the rink, which is on Britannia near um, Lafayette Cemetery, number one. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Maybe some other places? Um, So the rink is an old roller skating rink Mm -hmm. um, that was built in the 1880s when roller skating was all the rage. And that's 1880s, not 1980s when it made a comeback. (laughs) Um, and it's, it's really kind of fascinating because people were really into roller skating and then within a couple years it became some stables and then it became affiliated with the funeral parlor and then it became actually a service station Mm -hmm. and it was a service station for most of its history. Um, that's starting all the way in the 1930s till the 1970s when it was basically bought by people that wanted to turn it into some shops. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, my understanding is that, you know, as a service station, it wasn't meant to be pretty. They weren't interested in, um, you know, keeping it architecturally significant. And so when these folks bought it to turn it back into shops or to turn it into shops for the first time, they had a a really big job ahead of them. Mm -hmm. But I I think that they did a a really good work at getting it back to the way it had looked before. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not original, obviously. You know, they put in new windows. They had to get rid of garage doors right um but i I think that overall it looks like the rest of the neighborhood Mm -hmm. and so they did a really good job with that it's one of my favorite buildings um because it's very simple right as you're coming out of the greek revival era as you're coming out of victorian you know you start getting really really simple again and so they're really harnessing that Mm -hmm. um so i think that's neat um as far as other buildings you know you mentioned the sanger the sanger is amazing yes and they've done some really good work on the interior, the exterior. That's an Emil Wheel building. Okay. Um, and he's uh, another great architect that has done some really neat stuff more at the turn of the century. Mm-hmm. You know, so we talk an awful lot about Gallier and Henry Howard and William Ferret in the 1800s. And you start getting E.A. Christie. You mm-hmm. start getting Emil Wheel. You start getting these other people in the 20th century. And there's some really neat stuff that they did. Mm-hmm. Sanger's definitely one of them. Yeah. 
Um, as far as other buildings that are, are doing well, you know, I'm not, I really can't think of any off the top of my head right <laughs> okay. now. Um, but the Sanger Theater is a good example, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's there's some great ones and some not so great ones, you know, that in, that you look at it and go, "What? I'm not really sure what what they were thinking when they when they worked on that one." And you know, one of my favorite things to see is is like adaptive reuse. And um, you know, I I love, you know, we're talking about service stations with the rink, but um you know, over here on Oak Street, we have an old service station that's been turned into the Cowbell restaurant. Which I don't know if you've ever been I out have. there. I but... wasn't aware that that was a service yeah. station previously. Yeah, that's it was great. an old service station, so that's kind of neat. And then there was there's one over also in um, Mid City that was an old service station that's been turned into a small coffee shop, and it's just the cutest thing ever. Oh. You know, I, I love to see that like adaptive reuse because the old buildings have such great space, and sometimes you just need a little out of the box thinking to come up with something different to do with it, especially some of those old schools here that are, that have been baking for a while and coming up with a unique idea for that big space, um, I think is, is a problem that faces, you know, the city faces quite a lot and, and making things fit in with the neighborhood. So I, I noticed also when I was stalking your blog on your website, <laughs> like I do, um, you mentioned the uh, Merchants Mutual Insurance Building, which is on Canal. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that building? Sure. Yeah, that building is one of my favorites. It's um, designed by William Ferret in the 1850s. I want to say 1858. And it's mo- the whole facade is cast iron. Mm-hmm. And so he's using this really brand new technology to decorate the front of this building. And it's got three stories of different columns on it. Mm-hmm. So the first story um, was very simple columns. And then as you get into the second story, you have these... Um, twisting undulating columns they're really kind of neat and then we have the uh, Corinthian columns up on top mm-hmm. and you know I understand that the newspaper had some things to say about it because normally you don't do so much you know variations with your columns right and <laughs> for whatever reason William Ferret did not take the criticisms from the paper and change them which I think is really kind of remarkable. Mm-hmm. And so that's sort of what makes this building so special is that he could have been like, oh, let's do the safe option. And instead he went with what he wanted to mm-hmm. go with. And I think that's why it's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And that's one of my favorite favorite ones to point out when, you know, if we're driving guests or visitors around and we drive down canal or even just people that I've never been in the car with. I'm like, you see that, that whole front of that building is cast iron and people go, really? Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, it's pretty awesome. It's just, it's one of those ones when I, when I was in school, my professor pointed it out and we talked about it in class one day. And it's one of those things that just sort of stuck, you know, because I just thought it was fascinating and it's so beautiful. And the fact that it's still there and nothing major has been done to the exterior of it, which is just, and you know, that's almost a miracle in itself on Canal, considering what some of the other buildings have been through. And, um, you know, I just, I just love that one. I think there's a couple other that also have cast iron fronts, um, but I, I don't remember exactly which ones they are. Probably not as many that are quite as famous or by a, a well-known architect as that, that particular building, so... Well, I think that's all the questions I have for you today, unless there's anything else you just want to talk about. So Katrina has her Knoll Architecture Tours, and um, if you want to let our listeners know how they can get in touch with you and where they can find you on social media. 
Sure. Um, I can be reached at info at nolatours.com. That's my email. Uh, my website is nolatours.com, and you'll find New Orleans Architecture Tours there. Um, I'm on Instagram. Mm-hmm. I'm on I'm on, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I just got on Twitter today. Okay. So <laughs> I will be tweeting any moment now. Um, and yeah, you can find me out there. Perfect. That's great. Well, I, I know that's how I found you. Anyway, I found you on Instagram and then we, we met by happenstance through a mutual friend, which worked out very well, I think, for us. So um, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast and thank you very much for being here. Thank you for having me. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Let us know what you think by leaving a review on iTunes. If you would like to get a direct link to our guest's information or just want to give us a shout, you can contact us by visiting our website at preservationdestination.com. There you can check out each show's notes and much more information about the podcast. If you prefer good old-fashioned social media, we are also on Instagram and Facebook as Preservation Destination. Feel free to give us a like and click the follow button to stay informed about upcoming episodes. Again, thank you for being with us, and we hope you'll join us again next time here on Preservation Destination.